friends, this is Secret Sauce, a podcast about the secret ingredients in artwork and life. I'm your host, Becca Borelli. I'm also an illustrator in Austin, Texas, and this episode is entitled Making Art with Something Bigger. Yeah, what is up? Oh man, I, it has been such a long time. I, I don't even know. I, as I'm recording this, I realize I haven't gone back and looked to see when the last episode was posted, but it was definitely over a year ago. Um, it has been a wild time. I'm excited to tell you about some things. I'm excited to share this episode today. I've been getting tapped on my shoulder for a while to record this and Right now I'm sitting in my son's room. <laughs> uh, of course, it's the quietest, most least accessible room in the house so that it's you know easy for him to sleep. And he's at his grandparents right now. And I am using this little haven in here to record. Um, and it feels awesome. It feels so good. I, yeah, for those of you just tuning in, I decided to shutter my illustration business and also stop recording podcast episodes in April of this year um, to focus on being a mom. That decision was, of course, it brought up a lot of things for me, but they were things I was ready for. I've done this type of thing before. I have gotten used to it. I, I wouldn't say it's gotten easy, <laughs> but I've gotten used to recognizing when my life is giving me guidance to let something go. And so it was really hard to decide to shutter the business. In fact, getting pregnant was really difficult to do because I had, I think, a deep sense that I would end up not being able to do both in a way that mat- in a way that was in alignment for me. I mean, I certainly could have done both and been miserable. <laughs> but I really held off on getting pregnant until very late in life because I wasn't sure if I was going to resent my my child if I did have to give up some of the things that really had come to matter to me in the past decade especially. And and so then when it happened, you know, it, it was a little bit weird, but also it was like, okay, I'm ready for this. I'm ready for this. I can do it. And so it was crunchy. It was scary, but I've been there before and I knew it was going to be okay. <laughs> what was really surprising and I wasn't ready for is how much stuff it brought up for other people. Um, like, like a lot of other people, um, you know, when you're making, and some of you can probably relate to this because you've done this, right? You make this big decision and all of a sudden everyone is weighing in and it's weird, right? There were really only two people that I talked to when I decided to shutter most of BBI and it was my assistant who's amazing and my husband, because they were the only two people directly affected. But all kinds of other people had feelings about it. And some people shared those feelings, some people didn't, but I could feel 
the energy and a lot of the energy felt like, can you relate to this? What are you doing? And I, and I know why. Um, because things were working. Um, my assistant and husband know different, but, but for, for everyone else, the things were working. Like the week that I decided to shutter most of my business operations, I got a, I got an email from the CF, not the CFO. No, maybe it was the CFO, um, of Seton Hospital, Northwest Austin, wanting to, get a proposal for a six mural package in the stairwells of their new campus. And he was like, like the email was of course, and it was an introductory email, but I just remember it had the tone of like, I want to give this to you. He had seen the mural I did with Dell Children's Hospital in the summer of 2020. And I could just tell he was like, we want you pretty much. We'll give this to you. We just need to know what to budget for. And then, and then, and then (laughs) I got another email that day from the Moody Center, which for those of you that don't live in Austin, um, is the preeminent live music venue. Um, and they just, you know, moved into this beautiful new space and they were going to have this big event to like ribbon cutting for the space. And they wanted to hire me to do live mural painting at the event I mean, these are two like wonderful opportunities that even just a few years prior I would have never imagined getting so easily and that you know that's just one example I I think people from the outside looking in were like you're insane <laughs> like don't make the biggest mistake ever right can you relate to this not just making your life and creating your life, but also creating art, right? Like people from the outside looking in, they see something different than you see. And when this kind of creative disconnect happens, one of the first things that happens with me, and I think that happens with everybody, is that my brain and my connection to my intuition and, and something bigger than me fractures. And and when I say it fractures, this is what I mean. And, and I know everyone here is going to have at least one, but probably hundreds of examples of this, where your intuition is like, no, it's, it's okay. Like, this feels really good. Like, you're supposed to go this way, right? And then your brain, which is literally evolved to keep you safe and prevent you from doing stupid shit is like you dumbass you this makes no sense this makes no sense to me the brain and it also doesn't make any sense to the world which for all intents and purposes y'all our world is a big brain we collectively as a global community have been mostly making decisions from our brains and the world that we have is a collective artwork that reflects that. <laughs> and, and so when, can you think of, can you think of a time like this where you're, you're really feeling like you're being pulled in half 
I, I'm certain everyone can. And these times, depending on the level of of experience, right? Like sometimes it's like, should I go out or should I stay in at, on a Friday night? And even that can feel terribly difficult, right? Scale it up to the level of shutting down a business that you built for six years in order to care for a child that you love more than you ever thought possible. Like these are just huge feelings. I, that type of tension is really, really tricky to navigate. And I realized by the time that this decision fell in my lap that I've been getting schooled for the past four decades in my life on how to navigate that tension and that that is what this episode is going to be about because it doesn't have to rip us to shreds. (laughs) Um, I mean, it will the first few times because it's scary and then it's not anymore. It doesn't mean it's not hard. It doesn't mean there's not fear. But all of the really unmanageable energy falls away because we learn to trust the, the voice that's like, this way, this way. I know it doesn't make sense, but you can trust me this way. And the more that you trust it and listen to it, the more the, the trust like spirals in on itself. You realize that walking the direction of that voice, you're slowly trotting more of a path through the weeds <laughs> and it gets easier and easier every time. Um, I want to talk about that. I want to talk about the ways that we can make life and creating life much easier for ourselves by listening to something that's bigger than ourselves. And I was really excited to talk about this because I think everyone here has a model that they're already doing in their lives for this that can be of incredible service. And that is making art. Everyone listening to this is an artist, first of all. And no one listens to podcasts like this if they're not. (laughs) And that doesn't mean that you sit down and paint, by the way. Or that you do something even like, you know, like, I don't know. um, Not like landscape architecture (laughs) like something that's like creative but not necessarily fine arts right I'm talking about everybody in every field like if you're listening to this and you're an electrician um I guarantee that either you apply some type of artistic creative thinking to electrician electrician work (laughs) is that even a thing (laughs) or you apply artistry and creativity to some other area in your life Maybe it's your relationship with your spouse. Maybe it's your friendships. Maybe it's a community group that you're a part of. Maybe it's that you tinker in your garage, whatever. I don't know. But everyone listening to this, I'm certain of it, is an artist. And I want to talk about the way that that thing, whatever that thing is that pops up for you in your head as you hear me talking about this, how that thing can be an amazing model for navigating the times where you're making really tough decisions about how to move forward creatively. 
And it felt like a really good time to talk about this because, you know, (laughs) it's been a little over a year since I started trying to navigate the motherhood artistic space. And it's been, you know, about five months since I shuttered the business. Um, and we didn't totally shutter. As a side note, we, you know, wholesale has continued to go. And I've, that's been really lovely, actually. But all of the active forms of art making and the active operations are, are done and, and maybe done forever. And so let's talk about that because that thing was it was a big deal I felt like I was ready for it and it was a big deal um when you put years into something and then suddenly and and it was working right like (laughs) this is one of the big this is one of the big misnomers I want to clear like to sort of debunk, I guess, right now. Have you heard of this phrase? You know, I was climbing up the ladder, I was climbing up the ladder, and all of a sudden I got to the top and I realized I was on the wrong wall. (laughs) You hear a lot of people talk about this. And they talk about it to describe an experience like mine, right? Like I was working in this business, I was building it for six years, I have a child and I'm like, whoa, (laughs) big change, gotta change. And that's a really... I understand why that phrase came about and it and it probably was really helpful when it did come about to explain a level of experience that people were having in their in the way that the trajectories of their lives were going. But my experience is not is not that way. I'd like to suggest that no one's experience is really that way, that it's it's a mis a mistake to view it that way. That we've never been against the wrong wall. (laughs) We were just building a certain foundation. And now it's time to go to the next part of the building, which is no longer the foundation. But everything that you were working on had to happen before the next part. So you're not on the wrong wall. The wall is part of what you're building. You had to build it. And so when I was starting BBI, Becca Borelli illustrations. It was everything in my intuition was saying this, go now. And it worked, you know, I mean, it was hard and there was lots of times it didn't work, but generally the trajectory of that business was always positive in a way that was surprising even to me. And I was actively at times pumping the brakes because I just couldn't handle the rapidity of the scaling like I I remember hiring a business coach at one point and she was really confused by that she's like what are you doing like you're supposed to like go 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 and I was like no like this this go 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 is not for me and I learned a lot about that which I'll talk about later but I so I want to I want to get that out of the way right if you've had this experience that I'm describing where you have to make this big shift and no one understands it and it's feeling really scary, you weren't on the wrong wall. 
the wall is perfection. The wall is going to be the thing that props up the next thing that you do. And so, so I, I'm in this space of like, deciding, right? Of deciding to, to potentially leave everything. And I'm realizing, okay, it's fine because it's going to prop up motherhood. Like this, this was really important. It's time to shift. And it was still really hard, right? And so I'm going, but I'm, but I'm like, okay, I'm ready. I can do it. I'm ready for it. I start the process of shuttering things and I start to realize, oh my gosh, like the ease of which this is happening is very similar to the ease in which I make things. And I've been unconsciously or subconsciously probably is a better word using the way that I make art as a model for the way that I make my life here's a story that I want to share to kind of outline this because that's like a really vague it's a beautiful statement but it's vague what does that mean right what does that mean Borelli and so I want to start off by telling the story of how BBI was created. And it's not the only story, but it's one of the first sparks that really was the beginning of everything that was to come later. Um, When I moved to Austin, I came from Ohio. I was a public school art teacher there. I I actually kept my job there. I took a year sabbatical. I came to Austin and I decided to start grad school at UT, take my coursework for a year, go back to my classroom if, if I was miserable in Austin and do my research there. I actually kept a boyfriend there. Um, like I, what I really wanted to do was to let go of my whole life there. That was one of the first big shifts that something bigger than me was urging me to to take. And I wasn't able to do it really fast because I didn't trust that voice yet. (laughs) And I think it's smart, by the way, to if you're not the type of person that feels comfortable jumping off the cliff, don't don't do it. Right. Like it was actually really smart for me to keep some connections to Ohio because that was the way I needed to do it so that I wouldn't burn myself out. It made the decision last longer. Ultimately, I ended up parting ways with that relationship. I had to um, separate from the school district, get all my stuff. I mean, it made everything longer, but it was cool to, to go that route. There's no shame in doing it that way. So, so I, this is how I come to Austin and I, and I come in, in June, it's like right after school has ended and I need to find an apartment. And so I come and my friend Krista, she 
was living in Austin at the time. She's a huge part of the reason I even applied to the University of Texas, and it ended up becoming my first choice school. I was so excited when I got accepted. And so she said, let me help you find an apartment. So we go up apartment hunting this whole first day, and then she invites me to this little Mexican place by her apartment um, in Hyde Park. Those of you in Austin, it's still there. It's called Wands, mm, I think. It's on Duval Street. Gosh, y'all, I totally forget. It was wonderful. It was We sat on the patio. It's painted this beautiful bright blue color. We had Mexican martinis. It was my first one ever. And we started to chat about my move. And Krista is is trained in school psychology. She's a a master's in psychology and was a school psychologist um, for a long time. And so she has this way of like, when you're having a hard time, like pulling stuff out of you, which is really a rare quality to find in anybody um, that's not in psychology. (laughs) And so I was, you know, letting her know, like, as you can imagine, I was pretty terrified that I was, I was feeling the fracture, the, the tension. I felt like I was being pulled in half. There was this part of me that was like, yes, Austin, art school, yes. And then there was part of me that was like, you idiot, that's not responsible. You have this really caring boyfriend in Ohio. He was a great guy, y'all. You have a great job. It was a great job. I remember 150 people applied for the art teaching job I ended up getting. Like talk about an ego boost. Like, so it was goodness all around. But the, but the goodness in Ohio, it made total sense to my brain. My brain was like, yes, safety, this. And then the stuff in Austin was like completely, who knows? Question mark? We don't know. We just have a feeling. And can you all relate to the ways that we collectively gaslight our intuition or gaslight other people trying to listen to their intuition, right? Um, we as a society have become incredibly skeptical of following those voices. And you've heard people talk about this, you know, in other podcasts and other blog posts, et cetera, et cetera. One thing you don't hear people talk about a lot that I think is really worth naming here is that the reason that we have collectively become skeptical of our intuition is for good reason. There's a time in our history where people, whole groups of people, follow their intuition to disastrous ends. And what happened was we looked at those examples. For One of them, for example, is the witch trials right? This group of people who are incredibly religious, they become very certain about the wrong things, (laughs) very intuitively certain, right? Because there was, you know, to the point where they projected all kinds of things onto evidence that was incredibly benign and terrible, awful, like some of the worst things possible, which is the senseless killing of innocent people, happened right um we can think of all kinds of examples of this 
And what happened was that collectively, collectively, we looked at examples like this and we said, intuition, dangerous. And what I would like to suggest is no, it was intuition plus trauma. That when you've been traumatized, which is everybody to a different degree, but everybody, it really distorts intuition. And the more intuitive you are, the more it can be distorted. A really good example of this, and this is a little tangent, but I promise we're going to wrap back around here, is when I started dating my now husband. And we met when I was 32. And I had been in a few long relationships prior to that and lots of date, like lots of dating. I was really into dating. And I, so I'd had, you know, my heart stepped on a few, a, more than a few times. I'd also stepped on other people's hearts more than a few times, right? So there was some trauma there. Um, and if for those of you that know my husband, he, and I'll tell you for those of you that don't, he is the most gentle, like kind, non-judgmental, truly the most non-judgmental person I've ever met. And he's also not a bit weak. He is so strong, but in the most gentle, grounded way, boundaried way. He's so boundaried. And so I, I share that because this guy was so amazing and... <laughs> I brought all of the trauma from past relationships into that one. And I'll never forget the first date that we ever had where he bailed was we made plans to get together for like a late dinner and a movie. And then he fell asleep. And, you know, I found out later, you know, he was working all kinds of crazy hours. He works in uh, post-silicon for a tech company here in Austin. So they go into these power-ons where they're up you know, <laughs> they're up all night, all night, all night trying to get, you know, something to production. And so he would regularly just pass out in like the most unsustainable way. And so, so he calls me at 11 p.m. I'm losing it. I, between like 7 p.m. when we were supposed to hang out and 11 p.m., I have now spiraled into fuck you. I don't even want to be with you. You obviously don't respect me. You're obviously a terrible guy. I knew I shouldn't have liked you. All of this really ugly stuff that literally doesn't fit with him him at all. And the thing that's hysterical about it is that I didn't even gut check myself. I, I was convinced I was right because I am a very intuitive person. But when you combine intuition with trauma, you can get really, really certain about the re- about really wrong things. And I think collectively what happened was that we were like intuition bad, science good, <laughs> data good. We need to prove things so that we don't get ourselves in trouble when really what would have been helpful, and I'm not dogging on science because the scientific revolution was really important and really pivotal for a lot of reasons. But what we really needed to do was collectively start to learn how to heal and address our trauma and keep in touch with our intuition because what has happened in the last few centuries is we've created a world totally devoid of connection to intuition. We've created a world totally disconnected from something bigger than ourselves that's communicating with us all the time. 
I, I'm using the phrase something bigger than ourselves rather than spirit or, or even more inflammatory God <laughs> because both of those words are loaded, aren't they? You know, definitely God. God has become incredibly loaded over the years because religion has really hurt a lot of people and therefore also created a lot of wounding around a lot of its words. And so then a lot of people that felt like there wasn't a place for them in religion started to explore different, more expanded views of spirituality. And so then the word spirit became a much easier word and more expansive word. And I think we're seeing now, especially in the last few decades, that the same thing that happened to the word God is now becoming, is now what's happening to spirit. It's it's inflammatory to some people. You know, to some people, it's a beautiful word, word and they love it and it has wonderful connotations for them. But for other people, it's not. <laughs> um, it conjures up all kinds of images of woo-woo and, and bypassing and looking down on other people and judging other people. You know, there's a lot of people that are in self-proclaimed, self-proclaimed spiritual spaces who are incredibly toxic. And it has created some toxicity around the word. So it's it's wordy to say something bigger than ourselves, but I want I want it to be wordy because it's important to acknowledge in the confines of this podcast episode that I'm talking about something that's so beyond words that that one word or even a few syllables isn't going to do it. Um, tapping into something bigger than yourself is something that we've systematically been educated out of doing. And I think it started with a distrust in intuition historically, but I also think it became really convenient. Uh, from a capitalist economic perspective, people who are fractured from their intuition are much easier to sell stuff to. (laughs) They're much easier to control. And I think some power interests have discovered that along the way and they've perpetuated the fracturing. And I feel like one of our biggest jobs on the planet right now is learning to listen to that voice that's bigger than ourselves enough and enough and enough that we start to trust it and trust it and trust it. And the things that we make are going to get better and better and better on this planet in in our lives. (laughs) I don't know about you, but that process of listening to something bigger is really flawless for me when I'm drawing. What is it for you? Can what what first pops into your head when you think about this? Like what is it that you do that you are tapping into something bigger than yourself? That and then and then I guarantee you can trace the line back to you, that thing is your art form, whatever it is. Maybe it's when you clean your house. That's your art form. You are a domestic artist. Yes, right? So for me, when I'm drawing, listening to something bigger than myself has been 
not just easy, but just second nature since I was able to hold a pencil. I didn't realize this until recently, but we're all endowed with this ability as babies and as children. Like if you watch a child, they are so deeply connected to something bigger than themselves. That's why they're constantly doing things that don't make logical sense, but make them so happy and also make them expand and grow and learn more because they're listening to something bigger than themselves. So we're, when we, when we talk about this process, it's not something that anybody here has to learn. You've already been doing it your whole life. And what's happening now is learning to remember how to do it consciously and on purpose, right? Didn't Coco Chanel say that? You know, learning to, your life is about learning what you love and then doing it on purpose. (laughs) So when I sit down to draw, the process for me is incredibly spiralic. Can you relate to this in the thing that you do? When I say spiralic, what I mean is the thing is constantly changing moment to moment. And it's what it's not is a line. It's not, here's my goal. I'm going to execute these steps to get to that goal. That's scientific. That's not artistry. And if you're, if you're thinking this, the answer is yes, you can make art that is more scientific, right? I, I have a lot of friends that work that have art businesses who have created a really scientific system for producing work. They're like, okay, I need to make this thing. I've done some market analysis. This is going to sell hopefully really well. Uh, this is my end point. Here's the 10 steps I need to get there. Boom, right? Um, that is art as an object created through scientific means. I'm talking right now about art or anything, art objects or anything created through artistic means. And when you create through artistic means, it's a spiral. So I'll sit down and I'll, when I'm making something, I don't know <laughs> what it's going to be. And I just start with some shapes and some marks and and then I like look at them and I pause. And for those of you that have taken classes with me, you know this process. You look and you pause and you say, man, what would be the next best thing to go with these marks? And then you make those marks and then you pause and you're having this conversation with the work and the work is having a conversation with you, something bigger than you is talking with you and this process is so messy that in any other area of life it's terrifying but for me it's personally terrifying to live my life that way but um actually check that it's actually incredibly natural for me to live that life my life that way I've just learned to be really afraid of it because the world is afraid of it (laughs) and here's an example of what I'm talking about because I feel like 
you know, we're unpacking the definition of what it's like to make art this way, but sometimes it's helpful to have a story. So one of the first artworks I ever made that really illustrated this process for me was in 2013, I was finishing up my thesis at UT, which is an intense process. It's a, my, mine ended up being 150 pages. It's a novel. It's a book. Um, and so incredibly cerebral, I'm sitting at a desk for long periods of time. I had my nose in books for long periods of time. And so I would come home after a day at school and I would, I had these three large artworks that I started and they were 16 by 20 inches, which is not terribly large, in the scheme of things, but I, I was working very small at the time. And I started one of them with these little spirals and it was incredibly pleasing and I had no idea where I was going with it. Um, but I knew eventually I was going to figure it out, right? Like eventually, you know, usually like a quarter of the way in the artwork would show itself. Like this is what I want to be now. And I'd be like, Oh, cool. And then the rest of the process would be a little bit more linear and until it wasn't, you know, sometimes it would be more linear and then, oh, now I don't know where I am again. Now I'm in the depths again. Now I'm just going to kind of fiddle around. Maybe I'll set this thing aside for a little bit. So, you know, this was the process I was used to. Can you relate to this in your own life? This process of like, oh, cool, I'm putzing around. This feels good. Now it doesn't feel good. Oh, I'm going to come back to it later. And oh, now I have some fresh ideas because I've given it some space. So this spiralic process is, it's messy. Um, but this particular artwork was the first time that I got really stuck. And in, you know, the like language arts, they call it writer's block, right? Where you're flowing along, things are you know, unfolding messily, but they're unfolding. And then all of a sudden you get stuck. And what happened for me was that I was about a half, halfway to two thirds of the way into this piece. And I had no idea what it wanted to be. And I, I definitely knew I didn't want it to be a page of spirals, but that's what it was turning into. And it was weird because normally I would have just set it aside, but I was really used to an artwork unfolding and sort of talking to me sooner. And this one wasn't. And I was stubborn. I was like, come on, you know, and I was definitely trying to will it <laughs> into becoming a little more linear for me so that I could get it done. And, and then eventually I just in frustration kind of like put it in a drawer because it wasn't, it wasn't working. I didn't want to finish it and not like it. So I just left it. And a few weeks later, I happened to open the drawer and I pulled it out and I, I saw it. I like, I don't, I don't know if this has happened to anyone who makes physical art objects in here, but I imagine it has. And I also imagine it's, this has happened to people that just create things in their lives in general. But because I'd had some space from the work for a, a really long time, I saw that the spirals were actually the negative space of a heart and that the empty space on the paper wanted to be a heart. And so I finished it. It was all of these spirals with a blank white heart in the middle. It was very gigantic. And I put a quote on it. I don't even remember what the quote was anymore. 
And it ended up being the first original drawing that I sold ever in Austin to a heart surgeon <laughs> at a at an event that I was at. And I remember when she bought it thinking this piece was for her. Like this thing wanted to go to her and I wasn't getting it. I wasn't able to tap in with the thing that was communicating with me. And so it was like, nah, you stop now. (laughs) You stop now. And we'll try again later. Learning to listen to those kinds of voices when those voices don't use words is tricky. But I was used to it from making art my whole life. Like that was the model. And I started to wonder what would happen if I listened to those urgings in my life. Because by this point, I had, you know, left Ohio. I was really happy in Austin. And I saw, I began to trust that when I listen to this thing that's bigger, good things happen. Really good things beyond what I could have created if I tried to do it with my will alone, my mind alone. This is not something I think everyone's going to come on on the train with. Like if you're listening to this and you're like, I don't make art that way. I don't make art that way. That's totally cool. Um, I guarantee there's people listening to this right now that, that make art and they don't have conversations with their art. They don't think they're not tapping in with anything. They use a very linear model. They love the linear model. Cool. That, like, let me just gently suggest then that maybe your art form isn't the area that you're using this process. Maybe this process is happening with your children. Maybe this process is happening with your exercise in the mornings. Maybe the way that you listen to your body and adjust your workout routine is incredibly organic and all over the place. I don't I don't know what is it for you? What comes into your mind when you think about not having an end in mind? When you think about just going and enjoying the process for the process itself, taking one step at a time and getting feedback and then altering your actions based on that feedback. And have you ever even considered where that feedback is coming from? And what if the thing that it's coming from is intelligent and is serving you intentionally? And as you begin to listen to it more intentionally, it can make things so much easier. So much easier. So... We're going to circle back around. Did you ever think we were going to do this? (laughs) We're going to circle back around to the Mexican restaurant with Krista. So I'm sitting there with her. I'm so nervous. I'm so stressed out. Am I making the right decision? And she says, she says, well, what do you want? She's asking like, well, what do you want? And, and what I ended up doing, can you relate to this? I've said this phrase so many times in this episode. Can you relate to this? Because I know that you can. Can you relate to these questions of what do you want? And when you try to answer them, 
you start to hear the battle between your intuition and your mind like coming out of your mouth. So I and I told Krista, I said, I don't know, like they're both awesome. So which one do I pick? And she said something to me that sliced right through that bullshit. And it was if you had a magic wand and you could have exactly what you want, what would it be? And I instant, it was instant. And I, and I've asked myself this question going forward because it's so effective. (laughs) And sometimes the answer doesn't come right away, but it always comes. But in this instance, it came so fast. And I said, it would be to be an artist in Austin and to live here and to have my boyfriend at the time in Ohio be here with me. Um, I wanted those two things together. And she said, well, would he come here? And I knew he would. I knew he wouldn't. It was like a, a line in the sand when, when I made the decision to go to school. He was like, I, I can't go there. So if you don't come back, we'll have to split up. And he was pretty kind about it, even though I know it upset him a lot. And, and she said, well, do you think you can meet someone like him or even better here? And I was like, oh. And it was like a hundred million pounds came off my chest. And suddenly I had this trust in my intuition that I hadn't had before. And it was then that I realized that this magic wand is this amazing tool to help separate the places where the mind is kind of messing with your intuition I have used that metaphor a lot going forward and I've also ignored it a lot a lot going forward. It's really easy to ignore because sometimes the answers aren't things that we like. I've learned that they're not things that are scary, just things that we may not necessarily like. So this story, I, f- I feel like the story that I want to share to illustrate this does a good job. It's not an art. It's not an art story, though. It's not about making art. It's just about living. And it's the story that popped up surprisingly to share to y'all. And I think it's because it's such an interesting story. And it's an, a clear example of what it's like when you're trying to apply some of these ideas of artistry into living and you know the magic wand in some ways is an intentional way of setting aside the mind in the same way that i set aside the artwork so that i could shut up my brain for a little while i was creating space so that i could see more clearly what my intuition was trying to say in the same way the magic wand is doing that right it's saying oh this is where your intuition is this is where your mind is and when the two aren't mixed up it's so much easier to follow one or the other (laughs) but sometimes it sometimes the brain wins 
And I want to tell this story because it's an example of when I was shown pretty clearly um, what happens when I willfully ignore my intuition. And sometimes the blowback is, is a long time away. And so I'm not able to sometimes connect my decisions with outcomes. But in this story, <laughs> the blowback was so immediate that I saw so clearly the connection. So when Brayden was four months old, it was, it was back in the spring in Austin. It was beautiful. The dogs were um, so excited. We have two dogs. They really wanted to go for our hikes every week with us. They loved hiking with Brayden and I. They were so happy when he would come. And so I started taking them on these regular hikes into Onion Creek, which is this beautiful southeast park in Austin. It's probably six miles outside of the downtown area, but it looks like it's in the middle of nowhere. It's incredibly undeveloped because it's in a floodplain. And because it's in a floodplain and because it's undeveloped, it's also, you know, super remote. (laughs) And so one day I'm hiking out there with the dogs and I decide to take a trail that I've never taken before. It's this beautiful trail that cuts through the woods and goes along this sort of short cliff that drops into the creek and I had done the trail I think actually once before and I remember just loving that there was no one on it and so I had plans to do this trail much more Um, it was so pretty it was like one of the prettier trails I'd ever seen in the park and about halfway through the hike I see this kid walking through the trees and I I remember Rose looking at me and she she was like hey is that should I kill that guy (laughs) and I remember looking back at her and being like no no it's okay and he was like hey what's up you have a cute baby it was really uncomfortable he looked like he was probably 16 or 17 playing hooky from school you know and so we just kept walking now I (laughs) I paused a minute ago because I realized that the sort of linchpin of this story that's really important to note is that before we even went on this hike this particular day, I was packing Brayden into the car and I heard in my head almost like, almost like my own thought, right? Like almost like my own imagination. I heard, don't go. And I was like, what? And by this point in my life, I've learned that my imagination is so much, so much more than that. And that might be an idea that, you know, not everyone is going to jibe with. That's cool. Um, but it, it, when I began listening more to the things that would pop up into my head that had a certain tone to them, a certain gentleness, a certain peacefulness, um, I started to realize that, you know, the statement that Pablo Picasso made so famously, which is that everything you can imagine is real, is true. And I also became really careful to not listen to the really ugly things <laughs> because those things can be real as well. And so I get this like very gentle, like, don't go, don't go to the park. And I've, I know the tone. This is like, I've, I've heard this thing in my head before 
And I'm like, but I want to go. I'm literally talking back to this thing now. In, in my mind, have you had these conversations with yourself? Probably. All of us have. Is it possible that the thing that we're talking to is something bigger? <laughs> and I, I said, well, I want to go. And I just, and, and it, was, it was this very redundant voice, don't go. And I was like, well, I'm going to go. And I, I, I remember packing up the car, driving to Onion Creek. And <laughs> as we get to the park, <laughs> of course, we're like hiking along the creek. And I see this kid and I'm like, hi. And he's like, hi. And then whatever, we just keep walking. And I remember thinking in my head, we're totally fine. I'm, this is the most beautiful day. I'm so happy that we're out here. I don't, you know, understand why you're so worried. Like I'm chiding the voice in my head, y'all. Um, and then we decide, so we, we get to the end of the trail, we loop around and, and back and about five minutes to heading back to the car, I hear a splash and I look and I see that Rose is swimming in the Creek and she's an amazing swimmer. She loves to swim. And I have the thought, Oh, I've never seen Rose swim in this creek before. And then I realized it's because Rose didn't willfully go into the creek. She fell. <laughs> she slid down the embankment into the creek. And I'm not scared initially because she's a very good swimmer. But as I like call her to come up, I realize that the the cliffs, I mean it's like six foot drop into the water and it's muddy and it's steep. Like it's vertical and she, she's pawing and there's just no way. There's no way she's going to be able to get up. And I'm looking up and down the creek and it's this way. Like the whole creek bed is this way. And I have Brayden, who's four months old, strapped to my front. He can't even sit up yet. So like what am, what am I going to do? Am I going to try to climb down the side of a slippery, muddy, vertical creek bed <laughs> drop with my son and potentially fall into the river, which I have no idea how deep is. Am I going to leave him on the side of the creek, laying down in the dirt with my other dog while I try to go in to get Rose? But then what if I fall in and can't get back out to him? Nothing was good. Everything was bad. So I'm doing the only thing I could think of, which is trying to coax my dog to have superhuman power, super dog powers. <laughs> And she, she's doing her best. Like those of you that know Rose, she's a pit bull mix. She's strong. She's very smart. <laughs> and, but about 10 minutes goes by and she can't get out and she's starting to get tired and she starts to cry. And I, I just, I panic and I'm like on the edge of panic. And I realize I can't panic. If I panic, then my ability to make any good decision is, is done. And then I think of the voice and I go, oh, help, help me. I like literally threw my head up to the trees and I was like, and I said it out loud. I said, help me. I get it. I hear you. Tell me what to do. I will do it. And I highly recommend anybody do this and just listen to what pops into your imagination. Because the first thing that popped into my imagination was that teenage kid. And I thought, <laughs> he's got to be long gone by now. Like I saw him like 20 minutes ago. Like it was like a really long time ago. And I look up 
Like, and I start scanning the woods, and wouldn't you know, in the distance, I see the red of his sweatshirt through the trees, and I take off through the woods. Like, I'm like, and and he's, <laughs> y'all, this sweet boy is in the woods smoking weed by himself. He's not expecting this middle-aged lady with a baby to come barreling through the trees. And I'm like, please help me. And he's like putting out his joint. He's like, ah, and he is so uncomfortable. All right. This is not the guy that I would have thought this force bigger than me would direct me to. He doesn't even look remotely helpful he looks terrified and he looks really awkward and uncomfortable and and even a little bit annoyed that I've just interrupted his time and he's like okay and he comes running up to the to the embankment and I'm like my dog is down there I don't know what to do can you go please or can you hold my baby I was like and he's total deer in the headlights y'all just useless he's like I don't know and I realize I need to make a decision like this guy isn't going to do anything and before I can even think anything to do I hear my dog and I realize later this is what happened my dog is in the water she sees the kid coming back who she had previously been a little bit nervous about and she sees him back and she sees me terrified and she puts two and two together and her prote- her protective pipple juice comes full force. Y'all, she barrels up that cliff like a freaking train and lunges at this kid. And I had to pull, I had to pull her off him. And thankfully there was no biting. <laughs> he was so understanding. He's like, I have dogs at home. She's just protecting you. I totally understand. And that's how I that's how my day didn't turn into total shit that's how my dog didn't die (laughs) at the river um i i'm wondering if you can relate to trusting things like this and i'm wondering if you're an artist can you relate to trusting things like this all the time in your work because listening to that kind of energy listening to my imagination is something that I do when I make work all the time and I trust it I listen to my imagination and I trust it all the time why don't we trust it in other areas of our life and I think it's you know we can loop it back to we're just really rusty we're really rusty um to the point that Even with as much experience as I have, I still willfully ignored (laughs) that intuitive voice that day. Um, And I I suppose some people listening to this might think, oh, geez, you know, like sometimes I listen and I'm right and sometimes I listen and I'm wrong and I just never know which one it's going to be. Yeah. It took decades of my life to get this fractured from my intuition it's going to take decades to get reconnected so but we all were connected as children i i can tell you this all my parent friends know this is true we just have to remember and it's little bits at a time the more that you listen the more you get a sense for is this thing 
the voice that is in my highest and best creatively or is this thing gonna get me in trouble (laughs) you know um I learned to never listen almost ever to those voices when I was in bars (laughs) I used to paint signs in bars and that process for me was incredibly scientific I learned that I could not use my artistic messy spiralic process in a bar because there was way too much energy flying around that bar that would that I didn't want to be listening to (laughs) um take that take what resonates with you and leave the rest with that right like these are all ideas that are different but these are all ideas that have served me tremendously in so far as making really big decisions so the night that I was with Krista she said go home tonight and write down what your magic wand experience would look like and I have to tell you and there's so many people out there that have these experiences that tell these stories but it's as much as you believe them it's it really doesn't matter until it happens for you the thing that I wrote down is what my business became Becca Braley illustrations and the level that I was able to get it to um, my, my marriage my friendships my house my child all of those were things that were part of my magic wand um, dream but the what the one thing that I didn't imagine when I wrote that down that day was how I wanted to feel and I think that's pretty common when we're trying to listen to our intuition and identify what our imagination and intuition are telling us Sometimes we latch on to the stuff, the meat of it, and we forget that we also should be specific about how we want to feel going there. (laughs) So everything I wanted in the past seven or eight years has happened, but I was honestly pretty miserable getting there. And there's a lot of stories like that out there. Jim Carrey famously said in a speech, he wishes people could get everything they ever wanted so they can see it's not enough. That It's truly not enough if you're not really loving every bit of the process getting there. And it didn't occur to me when I was writing down my magic wand scenario <laughs> that I also wanted to love every minute of getting there. And It wasn't a mistake on my part. I just hadn't healed enough stuff in my life to expand my imagination to include that. And it it was honestly when Brayden was born that I started to see that I expanded big enough to see, oh my gosh, I don't want this business if I can't be so freaking happy every day. Um, I had a human mirror, right? you know i and we know that our children do this for us he he's a happy dude people will tell you he's such a happy chill dude and we jason and i've gotten used to that we've gotten used to him being so happy that when he's not we are able to see really clearly what's causing it 
some people don't have this experience. Some people, their children are unhappy all the time. And that's a mirror too. It means there's so much going on in the space that's hard for them that they're reflecting a lot back at you. And it can be very overwhelming for parents. And and honestly, a lot of parents just put their head in the sand because it's too, it's too much. Um, I, I share this because... <laughs> A few months ago, I got an email from this production company out of Upper Manhattan in New York. I've never been contacted by someone of this scale. And they had gotten my name. I don't even know how they got my name, but they got my name because they they were having a live corporate event in Austin in like seven days. And they had had a live painter scheduled and it fell through. And they had promised the client this live art component. And they were basically like, hey, um, in no uncertain terms, whatever you want us to pay you, we'll pay you to do this thing, but you have to like build a wall and get a concept and deliver and all the things in seven days. And I, y'all, I'm, I'm at home full time with a kid. I'm barely keeping up on a wholesale business. Um, I thought pretty seriously about doing it. And I said, you know what? I should just entertain them. So I scheduled a meeting, just like a 15 minute phone meeting. Ultimately, I decided not to take the gig, but I get on the phone with these four people in New York and immediately I've been on phone calls with Brayden in the room all the time. Um, but this is the first time he's in the room with me when I'm working and he starts to fuss and pull on my pants and I'm like, what is he? And I was like, really? And then, and I was ignoring it and like trying to shake some toys in his face and and eventually he starts to wail, which he, which he never does out of the blue like that. And I'm confused. And so I pick him up and he stops crying. And so now I'm like bouncing him on my hip as I'm trying to have this meeting. And, you know, that in and of itself felt like an answer <laughs> that maybe I shouldn't take something like this. And I'm glad I didn't. But later I, I was talking to my husband and I said, gosh, it's so weird, like really out of character for him. And he said, well, the, you know, he heard your work voice. And I was, and I thought, oh, he said, your work voice is a totally different energy (laughs) than your mom voice. And I, and I was like, oh man, he's a mirror. Like that's the energy of my work. And I had accepted that, right? Like work energy is this way. We've all accepted that. And that's fine if we want the world to stay the way it is, but I've always wanted to work for myself because I've always stubbornly thought I could figure out a way to unite profession and happiness in a way that is energetic, like down to the roots, so that when I'm in meetings, I'm generally not having to use a work voice, (laughs) that I can use a voice that when it's reflected back at me from my son, it feels good. I mean, doesn't that sound so impossible, right? Like, doesn't that feel like the tallest order ever? And and yet, if we're here to make new stuff in our lives and in our work, isn't this what we should be aiming for, is stuff that feels impossible because it doesn't exist very, very commonly, if at all. How many people do you know that are able to go into a work meeting and have energy that their one-year-old will reflect back at them as happy? Very few, if any. 
and it and that felt like that felt like my goal prior to Brayden being born my goal had been to how can I pay my bills how can I scale how can I grow how can I use my mind to get me into a good space business-wise, right? I was following all of the steps that I'd seen out there and none of the things connected to the voice that was bigger than me in here. And, and yeah. And then COVID hit, right? And Jason and I were thinking about getting pregnant. We hadn't decided. And I just stopped the train and I thought you know this is the perfect time I just I don't want to structure my business this way I want to listen to these things these nagging urgings that I constantly have things that I really want to do the podcast was one of them teaching intuitive art classes was one of them and I want to do those things and certainly they're going to lead somewhere good, certainly, because this is what my heart is telling me to do. Certainly, the money will follow. And so I completely threw all of my energy into these things that didn't directly make money. And I think my assistant at the time was like, what is she doing? I, I was just putting all kinds of new pots into our laps, things that I really wanted to do. And I started to neglect the things that had been moneymakers for a long time because those were the things that I had been doing for the wrong reasons, like freelance, which was, of course, incredibly lucrative, incredibly lucrative. Um, and I think we're used to, you know, in the movies, when we hear stories like this, we're used to expecting, oh, when you do something and you follow your heart, it's going to work, but it, but it didn't work. Um, and my business started to die and I saw it starting to die and I realized that it was going to die. And I thought, no, 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 I, I trust, I trust in this thing. This thing has not steered me wrong before. It's going to be okay. But I was stubbornly believing that my outcome would be that thing's outcome (laughs) and by March of this year I realized no this thing wants my business to die because nothing new is going to come until it goes until I let it go and that type of creative process is intense I mean that's not a creative process that a lot of people take And I'm 42 and just now starting to feel even remotely comfortable with it. And I have to tell you, I I don't know if doing this process is going to get me into some of the places that I dream about. I'm pretty sure it will. (laughs) But even if it doesn't, following my life path this messy way listening to these weird mysterious 
urgings from some larger unknowable source is a reward in and of itself because I get to see the way that it works. And I'm in a big trust phase right now because right now I don't I don't totally know if it's going to work. Like, you know, 10 years from now, um, I'm, I mean, I, I, I trust this energy so much that I, I don't even think it, it's worth giving voice to it, but you can all relate to that voice of like, what if I'm wrong? Um, at this point I, I just have, I'm so rarely wrong when I listen to these things that there's trust, there's trust now, but, but what type of things can we do in our life to make this process easier and for me it's been looking at the way that I trust my art and then applying the things that I do when I make art to the way I make my life it's crazy stuff this idea I've talked about this before in past episodes but this idea is not unique to me um a lot of other people have talked about this idea and, it, and I think a lot of the origins really come from the ancient Greeks and Romans pre-enlightenment. You can hear a really beautiful TED talk that Elizabeth Gilbert gives on this, which is that prior to the enlightenment and the scientific revolution, um, ancient societies really believed that when you made things, when you were creatively making things, whether it was music or a painting or bringing something new into the world of any kind, you were in communion with something bigger than yourself. And they called it a daemon, right? Other societies call it God. Other societies call it Muhammad. Other societies call it spirit. Other societies call it, um, you know... Uh, I'm trying to think I'm so like unknowledgeable on like all of the different ways that source source things are talked about, but you know what I mean, right? They called it a daemon and they believe that daemons were spirit that would help you channel something new, channel your work. You weren't the vessel. You weren't bringing this artwork out of you. You're bringing the artwork through you from them. And your job wasn't to be like a workhorse, right? Your job was to be fluid, like, like a, a river. What can I get out of the way so that this thing slides through better, right? My job isn't necessarily to sweat my ass off. Sometimes it is, but my job is mostly to heal things and relax into things so that when these creative things start to flow I'm easily able to bring them through and it's not I I'm excited to talk about this because I'm 42 and I just made one of the most crunchy decisions of my life um with a level of ease that I never thought was possible before. And, and that gives me a lot of hope for making the really hard decisions that we not only need to make personally and creatively, but collectively and creatively 
to bring into consciousness a planet that's not dying, right? And we're seeing, I mean, we're in a a death space right now. Like the world is dying, literally and figuratively. And I'm talking more about the figurative though, right? Like figuratively, we're seeing systems that we put into place going and it's terrifying to watch, but it also means that something better is going to be able to come into that space that's left behind. Um, that's the nature of creativity. Um, at no point in human history have we ever creative created backwards. <laughs> Sometimes we loop backwards a little bit for a while, but then we always spring forward even more. Right, the messiness appears to sometimes devolve, but it always progresses over time. Right, Martin Luther King, the arc of justice, always it always bends in the right way. If it's long enough, <laughs> it bends in the right way. Um. So when you're sitting down next time to like make something, and you have this thought. Like, hmm, I don't know. I feel like I want to make this thing. I don't know why, but I'm going to explore that. And you don't really know. You just start with like a line or a note or a dab of clay or whatever media you work in. And you keep putzing away messily. And, you know, a year later, you have something even better than you ever could have possibly imagined. That's what it's like to create with something bigger than yourself because you didn't imagine it and you, you didn't, it came from somewhere else. This kind of creation is really important right now um, because creating from humans has left us in a little bit of a bind. And I feel like artists, specifically you listening to this, are in this really unique place to start not just modeling for yourself how to create with something bigger but also to model for the world how to create with something bigger um if i made this process sound easy it was not my intention it's not it wasn't easy i would say it was it was relatively simple once i did it enough but it wasn't easy. It was really messy and emotional. And there was a lot, a lot, a lot of pain that came out during that time, during all those times over the course of my whole life. But, and they'll, and, and they'll continue to happen until the end of my life. But the pain around the process has increasingly dissipated and the fear around the process has increasingly dissipated. And I've gotten to see the way that things I never thought were possible are coming out of my life. And that can happen on the planet. Can you relate to feeling paralyzed by the state of the world? Because, you know, I certainly can. And I think it's because we get sometimes hung up on solving things for the world. Creating things on the scale of the world is too big. I mean, it's literally too big. Like we hear people pay lip service to this, like you can save the world. And, um, and I think deep down, we know that 
we can't, at least not in the way that they're talking about. Um, but we can, we can actualize these things in our, in our personal lives. And when enough people do it, that's when the world tips. And so it's given me a lot of comfort and realizing this was one of the reasons why Jason and I decided to take the plunge to have a child because prior to realizing this, I thought, how can I bring a child into this planet? I'm so helpless to do anything about it. And then during COVID, I realized, oh no, I'm not helpless. Um, I just need to, to work on this type of creative process in my life. I need to learn how to make my life and make my art in the same way which is with something bigger than myself. I, I want to just wrap up with this last thing, which is this is, you know, a, this was a lot. And I'm, I'm curious if all of it resonated for some people, but I suspect for most people, only some of it resonated. And, and in that regard, take those pieces because they're for you. And how can they serve your life and your art in a in a better way because you might be you know I have friends that make art in a very scientific way as I mentioned earlier in this episode and is it their job to stop that and make things in a messy way like I'm talking about no no I, I don't think so um, there are things in my life that I, I have to make in a very scientific way. Like when I get up in the morning, I don't meander around artistically. Brayden would lose his mind, <laughs> right? Like there's an objective and we have steps and they're the same every day. And so this isn't slamming on linear models or slamming on scientific models. This is just talking about the ways that when we have to make big creative shifts in our life the best tool to get there isn't always in a straight line the best way to get there is through listening to the voices that you all are so good listening to it's your imagination your imagination is constantly talking to you and I think it's amazing to entertain the idea that 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 is a thing that is intelligent and supporting us and has been supporting us our whole lives and has been patiently waiting for for as you know Yates famously said patiently waiting for our senses to grow sharp enough to communicate with it all the time all the time and I really believe that in your artistry, in the thing that you make every day, is that's where your senses are sharp enough. You already have these really beautifully sharp senses for communicating with this thing. And now it wants you to expand a little bit. How can you take the ways that you make things and expand it into the ways that you live and the ways that you love, the ways that you have relationships, the ways that you work, the ways that you clean, <laughs> all of the things. So 
I finally will just sort of close this out to say when I sat down to record this, I had a little bit of a a mini conversation with this thing. And I said, hey, look, like, hey, look, you, (laughs) my son is only gone for a little bit of time today. I don't have all of the time I used to have before he was born to re-record this 20 times until I get what you want me to say perfectly. So I'm just going to record it once and I'm going to do the best I can do. And it was weird, y'all. I, I've never, I've never done this without editing. And I know that this was a meandering podcast episode. It went all over the place. Um, I'm hoping that if you feel tired, the next time you listen, you take it in little bit of chunks. <laughs> it was a lot. Um, it was a lot, wasn't it? Um, the The podcast episode in and of itself is an example of what it's like when you listen to something organically and see where it takes you. Um, because... of me wasn't really sure where this episode was going until we got there. Um, So, you know, I'm guessing that if I were to go back and listen from beginning to end, (laughs) the trail is quite windy, quite windy. Um, How can we be brave enough to live our life this way? Um, I think it's really frustrating to hear people say ask that question and then just leave us hanging like like we'll just figure it out somehow magically um and I think there's a lot of ways to figure it out but one of the ways that worked for me is to look at my art making as a model because making art is is a way that I'm very comfortable talking with something larger than myself and I have been since I was a kid and I suspect a lot of you can relate to that I'm not sure the future of Secret Sauce. I am very excited to continue recording. I'm very excited to potentially expound upon some of these ideas with some art art offerings in 2023. Um, But in the meantime, stay tuned. Um, Social media has been, my Becca Burley social media, I permanently shut it down. It felt amazing. But the secret sauce um, Instagram is still live and I will continue to post new offerings there as well as through my newsletter at BeccaJBorelli.com. You can just subscribe there. It's once a month. It's very um, unobtrusive. It it may go to be more than once a month in the future, but for now, that's all I can handle. (laughs) So um, please continue to reach out to me anytime um, through the website through the secret sauce Instagram. I love hearing from you. If you are listening to this part of the recording, you're amazing. You are truly amazing because this was a long episode. And um, please, I would encourage you if you found it meaningful to leave a five-star review or to share it um, with people that you care about. Until next time, friends. Peace.